Men are literally disgusting. Men are trash. That's common in society. What is a woman? Can you tell me that? Marriage is a patriarchal plot to oppress women. And there's no greater source of systematic oppression than the nuclear family. My pronouns are she, her, or they, them. Do you guys think men can get pregnant? Yes. Men, women, marriage, family, society. That's crazy. Are you enjoying church so far? Hey, we have a lot of stuff to cover, and it has nothing to do with a football game that's going to happen this afternoon, Browns versus Broncos. That's, we're not even talking about that, although several people have asked me about it. But anyway, we got great stuff. Before I get started on our last Sunday on the series, Call Me Crazy, we have something to celebrate. And, uh, and so I'd like our very own, from our very own church, Brooke and Carl Walton to come on out here. Some of you may, many of you know them, a great couple in our church, and we are excited uh, to keep you updated on what's happening. Uh, their story started back in 2021 uh, when they began the process to a- adopt a child, and, uh, and, and that, that's a pretty big challenge these days. And uh, adoptions, as you probably already know, take time. And money. So here's kind of how it played out. You correct me where I messed it up, Carl. All right, in the summer of 21, they sold assets and they, they saved about $10,000 toward their adoption. In October of 21, which is a couple years ago, uh, they received $10,000 from Grace Community Church. We did that dollar club. It's been a while, but, uh, and so thank you for that. And then they received another $11,000 from family. And in November of 21, they received a $5,000 donation from an anonymous Christian couple, but then they gave it through an organization, uh, through Lifesong for Orphans and Raise the Dough, which ended up making, putting that with a matching grant, which gave them then another $10,000, which then allowed them to hit their financial goal. In the winter of 21, They partnered with an adoption agency called Lifetime Adoption. And over the the next two years, they did a home study, um, background checks, all that stuff, fingerprinting, you know, whole nine yards. And I I know that their goal was to adopt any child. You know, it didn't matter gender, race, or any even health issues that, that the child may have as long as, you know, that they could manage. And so... They were just open to all that. But after the first few months and all the paperwork was done, then came the hardest part, right? And that was the wait. The wait. The wait. So, and that brings us now two years later. Um, they've had ups and downs in the process. I had heard uh, that maybe twice during that or once during that, it happened with two people, uh, that there were two different birth moms that considered you guys to match up with, but then they ended up pulling out before you even got to meet with them, that that happened twice. It had to be tough and heartbreaking as you're going through this whole process. But on July 15th of this year, they were matched uh, with a birth mother. And they've been telling me that she is wonderful, a great communicator, really wants the best uh, for her child. And they got to know her over the next several months. And then October 26th, 
2023 at 9.59 p.m., um, Carter was born. And uh, Carter was brought home on October 30th and is in Brooke and Carl's care full-time and uh, has been a huge blessing in their lives, as you could imagine. And the adoption should be completed in late April, early May of next year. And so that's kind of what's happening. Did you want to say anything, Carl? Yeah, uh, I just wanted to say that we praise God for blessing us with him. And we wanted to thank everyone at Grace Community Church that helped to make this happen. And if any of you are thinking about adoption or going through it or are currently going through adoption that we just encourage you to push forward. It's hard at times, but it's definitely worth the wait. Yeah. It's such a a process. I mean, if you're thinking about that, that's, you know, two and a half years, a little over $40,000. I mean, it's a process, but I think as you guys have been telling me, it's worth every penny and every day of waiting and that they've learned a lot through the wait on waiting for God's timing and just all that stuff. And so we just want to celebrate with Carl and Brooke and Carter Walton today. So let's give them a big hand. And there's one more person that we want to celebrate. And that is that, and, and I don't know her, but there's a young mother out there who chose life and then we are so thankful, picked our Carl and Brooke as, as parents uh, for her baby. And so let's give her a big hand too. All right, yeah, that's, that's great. So thank you guys. We are behind you 100%. If there's anything you need, you're right here with us. And we're so blessed just to be part of your story. Thank you very much. Yep. Family. I mean, you just see this picture. Carl and Brooke holding Carter, waiting, you know, all that time, seeing all that come here. It's a beautiful picture. And that's actually what we're talking about today is family. So we've been talking about how our culture is in chaos and and we're speaking out against the crazy. But as we do that, I want to make sure that everybody understands, you know, we're speaking out truth against the crazy, but we're doing that with a heart that wants to rescue people out of the craziness and the madness that our culture is teaching and swept people up into. And remember, culture, society, is not neutral. It, it tends to pull people away from God. Actually, in the Bible, there, a, a word is used, world, which has a couple of different meanings. One, sometimes it's used in the sense of the whole world, meaning everybody in the world. And then sometimes... It's just talking about the world as the world system, the culture. And that's kind of what we're focused in on today. So we've already talked about culture's attack on men, culture's attack on women, culture's attack on marriage. Uh, Luke did that last Sunday. And now we're talking about culture's attack on the family. And most of this that we see today uh, comes from a rise in contemporary 
critical theory, and I don't know if you follow this stuff, but that's flowing out of the colleges, and that's what's influencing all this crazy stuff that we see all around us. That includes uh, critical race theory, queer theory, second and third wave feminism, Marxism, critical philosophy. These are all critical theory that's opposed to biblical truth. As a matter of fact, all of them basically admit openly that they are against traditional family. You know, where have we come that we have part of our society against just core family, nuclear family, traditional family? What, what's so offensive about that? And a perfect example of that, uh, again, is uh, back, you know, a few years ago when, with the death of George Floyd and the reaction to that and the rise of BLM, back then, if you just went to the BLM webpage, on the first page, the first thing you opened up was a list of what they believed in, and they were committed to the destruction of the nuclear family. You're going, what? What does that have to do with anything? It's all tied together in this critical theory that's taken over and flowed out of college campuses. But critical theory, I'm telling you, all that, that it's all related in all these umbrellas that I mentioned. It only offers division, rage, blaming others, and it just tears people down. Even the people following it are torn down. It tears them down, it tears communities, country down. It offers, critical theory offers zero solutions that actually work in any demonstrative way. Zero, zip, nothing. It's all just attack, attack, attack. It's all political. And so the Bible answers, has answers for people struggling today. And that's, that's what we want to always keep in mind. So first of all, just covered the culture's war on the nuclear family. Contemporary critical theory has led to this widespread collapse in values that's badly damaged our families and our communities and, and the country. But even though that's happening, and it's happening at an alarming rate, and we're looking around going, wow, our heads are spinning, going, well, you know, what has happened here? The attack on the, on the traditional family is old as the very beginning. We can see that back in Genesis. I mean, it's, it's been there. That in that sense, it's not new. We see it at, not only at creation, but all through the Old Testament. You know, we're getting ready to celebrate Christmas. We even see that in the lineage of Jesus Christ himself, as Matthew and Luke both present a lineage, one of Joseph, one of Mary. Uh, Mary. We see the breakdown in the family all through that, that lineage of Christ. So it, we're not saying it's new. It's just... Now it's become crazy. For example, I don't know if you follow stuff like this, but the California Senate passed a bill. If you want to look that up, that's AB 957, which requires parents to affirm their children's gender transition. Requires parents to affirm their child's gender transition. And so this bill will liken a parent who's not down with that like a child abuser if you're not encouraging your child's confusion. If you're not encouraging your child's confusion, you can lose parental rights. 
you know, and that's going to be on the governor's desk. And we see that, we kind of see this process, people call it the Californization of America. It's, it's just some weird stuff. So gender confusion is being caused in children. And, you know, and I could go on on this, and for time, I don't want to do this, but there's something called gender dysphoria that's always been around. It affects 0.01 percentage, almost always male, in people that's one in 10,000. The great majority of that outgrow it. That has been around, that's been studied and documented. What we see today is not that. Again, that was almost all boys experiencing that. Most of them outgrew it at puberty. It just was very rare, and most of them, it was just outgrown. But now we have this explosion of what we call gender dysphoria, but really it's just a social contagion. This has exploded in the UK where they were studying this longer, 4,400% increase. Well, what is this? Well, this is mostly preteen girls. And this is, why is this happening? Because of social media that we didn't have before. So that's what's going on there. But rather than help kids change their thinking like we do in every other counseling situation, in this area, we give children gender-affirming care, which means we don't do anything for them. We just sit on the sidelines and clap and support whatever thing they're thinking. If they, they think they're a cat, oh, that's great. No, it doesn't matter what they say. It's just affirming them. That is, there's no care in that. And so that's what they're doing regarding gender. And there's a progression with this. So what typically happens then is adults then point children, oh, if this is the way you feel right now, then you should block puberty. So they start taking puberty blockers. There's a bunch of issues that happens in the body when they do that, including problems with bone density and everything else. So doctors don't want to usually have them on puberty blockers. These are prepubescent children. They only want them on for two years or less. And so, but after what happens is after two years, they've fallen way behind their peers. And so that puts even more pressure on them when they can't get puberty blockers anymore to then use cross-sex hormones like testosterone, and which are given out freely at Planned Parenthood. And so then it begins. When they start taking cross-sex hormones like testosterone, they become infertile. Can't fix that, can't, re, can't reverse that. That's just a, a decision that's already been made for them for the rest of their lives. It's an attack on not only the family, but their future family. Rather than mutilating children's bodies with trans surgeries, we should be protecting them and helping them change their own destructive thoughts. And this is especially true for believers. We actually did a whole series on this not too long ago. Remember Romans 12, 2? And do not be conformed to this world, world system, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. 
So rather than irreversibly mutilating children's bodies, we should help them think more clearly and help them understand things as they grow up. And, and you know who we don't listen to today? You know who the legacy media won't tune into? Are the detransitioners. Young people in their 20s that did all this and then realized that didn't solve any of their problems and didn't change any of their thinking. And then all of a sudden they're going, well, I, I think it's better to go back, but they cannot go back completely. And they have a story to tell and nobody wants to hear it. But we should be listening to them because they're saying, I was lied to. I was manipulated. I was lied to. Nobody really helped me to just help me. They just followed their political agenda. And so they're being silenced. Their voices are. And this is a war against parental rights. So the attack on family is so severe, so relentless, it sort of begs the question, why? Why all the attack? on the family? Why do so many attack the family? And basically, I think most of that comes down to the simple fact of people rejecting God. They reject God, so they don't want anything to do with God, and actually, God created family. And so we see this in a passage that I'm gonna read, and so just hang with me a little bit. This is Romans 1, it's a little heavy, but it just explains this, and I'm going to illustrate it with this, these ladders in just a moment, because this ladder will stand for like the world system, society, culture that influences us, and then this will be God's truth, what the Bible says, salvation in Christ. You know. So, but here it goes, Romans one, beginning in verse eighteen. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. So you see what he's saying so far. He's saying, hey, you have this culture, you have this world system, and it's just drifting away from God, and they reject God, and even though the evidence for God is all around us and the order of creation and the balance and everything we see that can't come from nothing, there's no scientific evidence for that whatsoever, but that's better than believing in God because they don't want there to be a God. And so there's... They don't want to be accountable to God. They don't want there to be a God. And so their rejection of God leads to a litany of tests. It starts taking them down a dark path. Now remember, because as I read this, it's going to be, sound like I'm reading out of, the, out of the news on the internet. But this was written 2,000 years ago. 
And here's how this continues in verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. He's talking about, then you go down this path, rejecting God, you go to a darker and darker and darker place. And then he describes it. Verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. We'll talk about that in a bit. Without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. This is the world system. This is the culture. This is society. Now, here's what typically happens. We are in the world. We're in the world system. We're in the world's culture. And all of us have sinned against God because that's what this culture is all about. Do you, whatever you want, whatever you like. And so we sin against God and we, we might not even know that, whatever. Then all of a sudden, at some point, we're exposed to biblical truth. Hey, there is a God, a God who loves us, a God who created us, a God we're accountable to. And then a lot of times, even though we're here in the world, we step over and we decided rather than trust this, I'm going to trust God. And so when we step over to God, we, and, and this is more than just knowing Jesus. This is, not, this is more than just knowing about Jesus. This is more than just knowing that Jesus existed. Everybody knows that. Every historian knows Jesus existed 2,000 years ago, died on the cross, the resurrection, all that stuff, well documented. But this is once you've understood all that, and you've also understood that we're separated from God and that God loves you, that God created a way because he's the perfect judge and says all wrong must be punished just like we would want a perfect judge to be. But then we realize, oh, that includes us. And so then God sends his one and only son, Jesus, to come and to die on the cross for our sins. He who had no sin of his own became sin for us. And when we understand that message, then we have this opportunity to place our trust, not in ourselves, not in the world, not in culture, but in Christ and Christ alone. And so we put our trust in him. But then here's the problem. A lot of us want to keep one foot in the world because we're not completely rejecting all this. And then what happens is we grow in Christ. And so we, we become a little more knowledgeable. We, we understand more what Christ has done for us. We discover more truth. But a lot of times, we still keep one foot in the world. 
Because there's stuff about the world that we like that we don't want to totally give up. But then as a believer, what naturally happens is we grow. So we grow again in Christ. But if we keep one foot in the world, it is always a problem. And you can see what's coming, right? Right? You know, as you grow closer to Christ, you cannot keep one foot in the world. Now, I'm not saying that you don't sin. I'm saying that you don't trust that this is right. You don't trust in the world system. You don't trust in what culture says or society. You place your trust in Christ. And then finally, either one of two things happen. You either stop growing in Jesus because you got one foot planted in the world and all of a sudden it's getting a little dicey. And so you can't grow anymore. I would show you one step up, but that could be a bad thing. So we'll just stop right here. And you can't go any further. You can't grow further in Christ because you're trusting in something over here. That's where some of you are. Why haven't I grown as a believer? Because you won't stop trusting in the world system. You won't let go of it. I'm not talking about that you have struggles with sin. Because if you're saying it's sin, you're saying it's wrong. That's different. I'm saying you want to do this. You want to live for this. Your goals are partly God, but they're partly what the world says your goals should be, what the world says you should live for. So you either stop right here. If you cross over, that means you are never a believer to begin with. You thought you were and you're not. But if you're a believer that continues to grow, you will finally let go. And you will keep growing toward Christ. Now, we never reach the end, but we grow closer and closer to God. That's only possible when we let go of the world. Does that make sense? That's what, this is what God wants for us. This is the truth that we need to live life. And so if that's the case, then the question is, what about family? Well, God tells us how to do family. He gives us his instruction. That's what we're looking for. That's what we want to dial in. What's God's, God's plan for family? And before we get started here, family's not easy. Because why? Because God's telling us we're all sinners. We've all messed up. We've all misused the freedom God gave us to have a voluntary relationship with him to serve ourselves. And so we all have this flesh, this sin in us, warring. So it's not easy. You throw a bunch of people like that in a home together, there's gonna be issues. We get it. How do you navigate through those issues? Well, we keep going back, first of all, to the basics, like we, the, the beginning, like we have every Sunday before this in this series. Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. He's talking about God created mankind, and God created mankind as male and female, binary. Not non-binary. That's just the truth. You know, we, we just have to know that. That's God's design. Now, all of us can misuse God's gift of sexuality, whether we're binary or whether we claim to be non-binary. We can all misuse sexuality. We get that. We're all sinners. We understand. 
But after creation, God says there's man and woman, and then he introduces family. God institutes the family. He does that in Genesis 2.24. That starts out, you've all heard it. Famous verse, Jesus quoted it. Paul quoted it. It says this, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So this is the beginning of family. Marriage is the foundation of the family. Luke talked about that last week. Ideally, doesn't always happen this way, but ideally, it's after marriage that children come into the picture. And so, why is that? Well, God says it's best to wait until marriage where two people have committed to each other for life before you bring children into the world. That's best for the adults and that's best for the children. So needless to say, Christians should not be caught up in this culture that we see all around us, you know, where people are talking about, yeah, well, she's my baby mama and he's my baby daddy and this, you know, we're, we're just having children with people that we don't intend to marry. You know, we get that happens, I understand that, but that shouldn't be the way Christians are. We should be looking at marriage ideally. But, and there's, you know, God says it's right, but there's a whole bunch of other reasons that it's right as we, as that shows God's wisdom in all this. For example, studies keep showing the benefits children have in two parent homes. You know, I've been doing this a long time. The studies, they keep cranking out studies. They're hoping to find something different. But study after study after scientific study shows that children from two-person homes benefit in every measurable way. They benefit in every way that you can even measure. It's been that way since the beginning. So, of course, we keep rediscovering that kinda in our culture. There's a new book that's out, not written from a Christian perspective, that shows the evidence of this. It's called The Two-Parent Privilege. And that's where the author just makes a data-driven case for marriage. This is not a Christian. They're not talking religion or values or morals or anything. They're just saying, way smarter for marriage. By showing how its decline, marriage's decline, has led to all these problems that are facing us today, you know, American society, riddled with problems that basically just comes down to this one thing. And so the author, avoiding any religious arguments, she's maintaining that the greatest, you know, that there's this huge impact of marriage being less popular that's that's devastating things. And a lot of it, because she's focused, she's not talking about morality or anything, is economic and stuff like that. She would say, you know, hey, when two adults marry, their economic lives improve, their household lives improve. And then they offer all these benefits, not only for the kids, but also for the two married adults. Everybody's better off here. And then and the author points out that these current studies are showing that the gap between the benefits of two-parent kids and non-two-parent kids is greater than ever. It just keeps going and going. What does that mean? God's plan's best. 
That's why he told us to do it that way. Now, if you're a single parent, we have a bunch of single parents here at Grace. We're glad that you're here. You know, we're, we're glad you're with us. We want to help you. We are committed to helping you. We are committed to helping you financially. We're committed to helping you with muscle, labor, if that's what you need. We are committed to stand in the gap and help you as you raise your children to follow God. And we've always been that way. Psalm 127, verse 3 says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. It's just a gift, a blessing. But children also come with responsibility, right? And so as believers, first of all, we're committed to God. Secondly, we're committed to our spouse. And third, we're committed to our our children. And so we're committed to love them. But here's the misunderstanding. The culture says Love means affirming every decision or every thought your child ever has. This is not love. That's stupidity. That does not help your children. That hurts your children. God says love is you love with action and you have the heart there, but you also love them enough to tell them truth even truth that they don't want to hear, but they need to hear. That's real love. You know, God is telling us this. It's the same way God loves us. And so, from the, from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, and the law, until now, we're told the same thing. You know, that we have these responsibilities toward our kids. Back in the law, Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God. This is the number one priority. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And then it's these words which I'm commanding you today, talking about the law, the Ten Commandments, shall be on your heart. He's saying, take them to heart. Remember them. And then verse 7. You shall teach them diligently. To your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. He's just saying, parents, you have this responsibility to teach your kids about God. Well, I bring them to church. Well, that's great. That, that's a start. But it's not primarily the church's responsibility, although we're all in on that. It's primarily the parents' responsibility. And it doesn't just happen at church. It happens, did you get it? When you lie down, when you rise up, when you walk by the way, when you're doing life with your children, as you do life, you're pointing out things about God. You're using illustrations to teach them about God, about God's love, what God wants for us. You know, we live a lifestyle that way, we are called to. That's Old Testament. In the New Testament, we have the same kind of instructions to not just parents, but also to children. Now, here it goes this way. Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Right away here, it's children, be in the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Children, do what God says regarding obey your parents, is what this is saying. Children, Not children, obey your parents if they're Christians. That's not what he's saying. He's saying children, follow God in your obedience to parents. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, talking about the Ten Commandments, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. So here's, this is tricky now. 
So children are commanded to obey their parents. But there's not a lot of three-year-olds studying Ephesians chapter 6, right? So we help them with that. It's our job to help our kids do what they should do. So children are commanded to obey their parents first. We have to help them obey. We as parents have to teach them obedience. This involves some work. We teach them obedience when they're young. If you teach them obedience when they're young, parenting during their teen years is going to be way, way easier. We start there. Teach your children obedience. And then, after that, their obedience will turn, turn into honor because they don't obey you for their whole life. Someday they get, grow up and move away, but they will honor you because you taught them obedience. That's, that's the second thing they do. Now, there's also instruction for parents, verse four. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay, first thing, this sounds a little odd to us. Why fathers? What about mothers? Well, I think this is addressed to fathers because mothers seem to always be there. This is an instruction to make sure fathers are not passive on discipline. Fathers, you're called to this. It's really a call to both parents, but fathers are called out. Don't be passive. Take the lead on discipline, but it pertains to both. And then you have the negative and positive. Parental correction, especially fathers, by fathers, our correction to our kids, it needs to be consistent, but it should not be exercised harshly uh, or unfairly. Because if it is, then it will lead to bitterness and resentment. So we discipline in a way that promotes relationship. And so there's a lot of different ways to discipline. But first of all, on the positive side, it's not just controlling behavior. That's part of it. Di obedience is controlling behavior. Discipline controls behavior. But the, the whole heart behind that is that we would shape our child's heart to follow God. I mean, that's, the mo that's what we're trying to do with everything we're doing, to point out, hey, follow God. You know, you'll you want to follow God. So that's the main thing. And discipline, though, is correction. And there's a lot of different ways to discipline, including corporal punishment, including physical punishment. But disclaimer here, do, do not ever punish your child physically while you're angry. If you're punishing your child say by spanking, while you're angry, you're always doing it for the wrong reasons. You're doing it because you got ticked off. You're doing it because you finally got miffed. If you're even doing that in anger, you're not doing it right because you should have disciplined before you got angry. But when you discipline when you're angry, don't do it because it'll go sideways. Just take a breather, take a chill pill, just put this on hold, come back, don't ignore it. Come back to it, deal with it. You never deal with it when you're angry. That's always a sign that you waited too long. You were too sloppy with your discipline. And then what do we discipline? 
Every, oh, spilled some milk, discipline. No, you don't discipline that. That's childishness. What you discipline is disobedience. Hey, you need to go do this and this and this. No. What? <laughs> disobedience. Dishonesty. Because you have to have honesty in your relationship with them. Disobedience, dishonesty, disrespect. And it's best, dads, when we discipline disrespect to the mother. And they'll respect you too. Do not let your children disrespect their mother. Disobedience, dishonesty, disrespect. Why discipline those three things? Because disciplining those three things protect the relationship. Letting those three things, either one of those three things, go and check, destroys the relationship. And there's a lot of ways to do that. You, know, you, can, you can side with your children, little children, as you punish them. Oh, sweetie, I'm so sorry you did that. Oh, now you know there's consequences for that. Daddy's going to have to spank you because you said that to your mommy. You can't do that. And now it's all of a sudden you're sort of on the child's side going, oh, oh, I feel so bad. You're going to have to receive this consequence because of your behavior. And, you're, and you might be thinking, Kevin, that ain't going to work. Okay, well, you figure it out. All I'm saying is you need to figure out a way to discipline in a way that mends the relationship. If there's a fracture in the relationship because of dishonesty or disrespect or whatever it is, then there, there needs to be, I'm sorry, and you're forgiven, and then discipline. And now children feel guilty when they're wrong. Well, now you don't have to feel guilty anymore because you paid the penalty. It fixes, it mends the relationship. You get a clean slate then. You don't have to live under the cloud of what happened anymore. It's been dealt with. So he talks about instruction. That's warning of doing wrong and also teaching what's, what's right. And of course, the first thing we want them to do is follow Jesus. And notice there's a transition between correction and influence. If we get discipline down... If we get the correction part down, that will lead to us leading them with influence later in life. You want to lead your teenager through relationship? Get discipline down before they're a teenager, when they're young. Get that down. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he'll not depart from it. And why would God tell us all this? Because family was God's idea. Family is a blessing to us. Family. You know, and this is how, for us believers, it typically starts. You know, we, we get married. We want children. We start praying for children. God gives us children, perhaps, you know, once we have children. Then the first thing, our first concern is that this child would one day come to Christ. So every day, for me, it's praying for my kids. First one, then two, then three. I'm praying for all three of them that they would come to Christ. And then one comes to Christ, and later another comes to Christ, and later another comes to Christ. And then it's like, okay, whew, they all came to Christ. Uh, and I want to watch that and make sure that's genuine. And then the next thing I'm praying for is, Lord, they're probably going to want to get married, which is a good thing. But they need to marry a believer. So now I'm praying that they will marry a believer. 
Then one marries a believer, another marries, and I don't mean a believer, somebody who says, oh yeah, I'm a Christian based on, you know, my parents or grandparents went to some church. No, a believer, you know they're a Christian because they're living this. Find somebody like that. You don't get to go out with people that we don't know that are this. And then for us, Pam and I, all three of our kids grew up, became believers, and then married believers. And now we have eight grandkids. And so now it's a different prayer. It's praying for them. Each child, every day, that they'd come to Christ. Two of them have made a profession of Christ. But we're still keeping an eye on them. But it's like, you know, we all eight to come to Christ every day. I not only pray for my eight grandkids every day, I pray for about 51 kids in our church at the last count. Every day, every day that they come to Christ. Just kids I happen to know their names, you know. That's how we need to pray. You know, and, and family's so wonderful. Uh, we had, we had the, the, I didn't tell first service, so you guys are getting a little bonus here, but yeah, you're going to miss lunch. But whatever. Uh, <laughs> Pam had our two oldest granddaughters, excuse me, Two oldest granddaughters at the house. And the oldest, Aria, she's in second grade. She tells Pam, hey, I learned something. Well, wait, what'd you learn? Because Christmas decorations are going on. I learned about mistletoe. I know what mistletoe is. And Pam says, ah, you're too young to know what mistletoe. No, I know. Okay, well, what is it? When you get under it, you get kissed. She has a little sister with her. She's in kindergarten. She perks up. What, 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 what? <laughs> and so she starts throwing out all kinds of questions. Well, what are you talking about? Who's going to do this? Where's this going to happen? You know, what, what, does he, what are we, you know, who, what's going on here? And then, but she's not getting a lot of traction because this other conversation, I wasn't there. I'm just hurting about, you know, Pam's still talking to Ari about all this. And then finally, Gemma says, hold it. You're saying people kiss you if you're under this plant. How do they get into your house? You know, we love our kids. We're blessed by them. One of my favorite verses, 3 John 1, 4, here's what it says. I have no greater joy than this than to hear of my children walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. God gives us this incredible gift to Christians and non-Christians alike. The gift of marriage, it's to humanity. The gift of family, it's to the, the human race. We should be thankful. And we should focus on making sure we're doing it this way, not that way. Because this is the truth they need to navigate a changing world. So much stuff is happening in our culture today. There's part of me that now that our kids are raised up and they have their own kids, you know, part of me is just like, wow, the world is going down. You know, we'll just leave it at that. The world is, is it's, it's messed up. Part of me just reacts like, sort of intellectually, curiosity. Man, I wonder what's going to happen next. How's God going to deal with this? You know, what does that say about the Bible? How's this going to play out in the end time? You know, and you're just, wow, 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 wow. Until I start thinking about my grandkids. 
And then I'm like, well, how's it going to go for them during this? The best thing I can give them? God. God will see them through. And that's what God promises to do for us. So let's turn to him as we close our service. And uh, they're going to, I think, maybe sing a song. I don't know. But uh, we, let's stand together. I'll pray and then we'll close in a song real quick. Father God, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for direction. And Lord, we realize that you've given us truth and that we've all sinned against you. And Lord, you've given us salvation. We don't deserve it. And we take this message and we will share this with everybody that we can in a confused world, Lord, so they can see the light. They could understand you. They could turn and follow you. And then things will actually make sense and they'll have direction, meaning, purpose in their life. Lord, help us to do that. And thank you for giving us that direction. And Lord, let's just help us to keep remembering to follow you and who you are. In Christ's name, amen.